0: Pastor Luis going to share with us tonight. I don't need to introduce him. Yeah, yeah. cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Julio. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you this evening and to have the privilege. It's always an honor when anybody invites you to come and speak, and it's really a privilege, especially to be here tonight. I um, was just a couple of weeks ago already, the Lord started speaking to him about tonight and just... What he what I've, what wanted me to speak on. And uh, so we're going to tackle that wonderful topic, relationships, and particularly aimed at the more romantic kind of relationships. And uh, yeah, come on. And uh, you know, the Bible says, even in Ecclesiastes, it says it categorizes the ways of a man with a woman as one of the mysteries of nature. So we're not going to solve all the problems, we're not going to cover everything. But uh, what I'd like to do this evening is, I suppose, in a sense, a little bit of a of a framework that the Lord has developed in my life and Natasha's life. We'll be married 25 years September this year. So, um, I don't know how much that counts as success, but at least we're still together after 25 years, and I know we love each other dearly, and you can ask her, she'll also say that. It's not just me that says that. And um, so... What I want to share with you this evening is a little bit of the journey, some sort of lessons learned, and a framework that I've developed over the years in thinking through relationships, and that has become very important to me in terms of my relationship with her, and also how do I teach my children and others that I have the opportunity to disciple and journey with in this. So it's from that place that I want to tackle it. Now, whenever we talk relationships, we have to begin with Genesis 1 in the beginning. So I just want to read you these couple of verses just sort of to, this is our departure point. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. I so deeply appreciate in Scripture that this part of our human experience, the relationships between men and women, is not some side issue that somewhere along the line needed some attention, but it was built right into the very fabric of our existence, right from the word go. You find it in Scripture. It's not five chapters down the line. God says, okay, let's, I suppose we need to talk about this. Right from the word, right from the get-go, it's already there in our story. And therefore, we know it's part of God's design and God is part of God's plan for us. Now, we want to talk relationships. I, we are very privileged as Christians and as believers that we have the best example to aspire to. We have the greatest role model you can ever find in terms of our relationships, and that's God himself. Because God is relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And He creates for us within Himself a pattern. And the important thing that we must remember is that when God made us, in this verse it says, let us make man in our image. So He made us like Him, particularly in our relational capacity, He made us the same. And we are fashioned after God, and therefore we have this privilege of doing this in God's way almost. It's like God says, if you, if you can follow me as an example in how to relate, you'll do well. And that's the privilege we have. Uh, many of you, I think, will understand when I talk about the word fractals. In, in nature, we find this phenomenon that you find patterns that are repeated. And often they start very big. So I have just an example there of a fractal that is a similar pattern repeated in different places. And often it starts big and it goes to the smallest place. And you'll find the same pattern repeated. On, the, on your, what is that, left-hand side there, you have a pattern of a, this sort tr- of branch-like, tree-like thing. But that's actually a mountain range that you see. And a river that runs through uh, elevated areas. Then you see that same pattern repeated and that's a tree and then, obviously, on the, on the far right, you see the same pattern in the human mind. It's this consistent repetition of patterns that happen in nature. And I think that points us to this idea that God says, I have a pattern that I'm, I created. And if you live life according to the pattern that I have established, and if you copy that pattern, you will do well in life. And uh, in our relationships, there's patterns that God has established. And first of all, like I said, that pattern is Himself. So if we look at the Trinity, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can go over to the next slides. And it wouldn't be honest if I didn't bring triangles into the discussion tonight in some way. I know I confused people this morning because I used a square and not triangles. So tonight we're coming right back to triangles again. When God, In God's existence, we often describe Him in this triangular fashion because we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this unity of relationship Co-equals. And what a triangle does great is it shows a relationship where there's everybody's equal in distance from one another. And it, it binds them in this. Everybody's on the same plane and equally important. That pattern was repeated when God made us. And in, in some way we see a triangle, a, a, a little bit of a mini trinity almost form when God made man and woman. And he brought us into a relationship with him. Everybody. In a relationship of equality. Now, when I say equality, I don't mean an authority, but in relational capacity. We can relate the same way God can relate because, relate because we were made in His image. So God, woman, and man comes into this, and you see God walking in the cool of the day. He walks in the garden, and He spends time with them. The relationship is repeated. The, the pattern, sorry, is repeated. And then we see that pattern almost as a fractal come down to on a smaller base. We see it in ourselves. That we were made with this triangular reality within us. This almost humanitarian trinity thing that God made because we're a repetition of Him. And that is body, soul, and spirit. That I exist out of these three equal parts. That makes up my human being. Body, soul, and spirit. So can you see that fractal in terms of your life? How God developed and built you and you are specifically built for relationships. And it begins within yourself. If you, if you will now go back up from the smaller to the bigger. and then it begin, And then it moves to other people that you involve. And then it moves to God and this relationship that you have. And when we can build these patterns in our lives and repeat them, we will enjoy something of godly success in our relationships. Now a key word when it comes to all three of those relationships that we share is the word agape. Do you know what the word agape means? We often describe it as the God kind of love. It's the selfless love. It is the love that is about the other. It is the love that is not about, you know, what I can get, but it's about how I can love you. For God so loved the world, in that scripture, John 3, 16, the word agape is used for love. For God so loved the world that He gave. God's kind of love is this love that is not about me, it's about you. God gives love to us in a phenomenal way. He just, it's all about the other. I love the fact that Bob Mumford, when he talks about agape love, he describes it as an arrow. And he said, it's not a, a love that is about me, but it's a love that points out towards the other person. And that's how God loves you. He loves you because of you. And it's about you. God doesn't love you because he's try- He needs something from you. And I've spoken about this before. And He's trying to get something from you that He needs. He loves you because you need to be loved. And that's the way God loves. So agape is the center of all three of these triangles work when agape is at the center. If, we, if God is bound together in unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they prefer one another. Man, woman, and God. That relationship works when it's agape. They prefer one another. I within myself, the scripture says, I can only love others, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's a self-love, an agape, a self-respect, a self-worth, a self-understanding that I need. and agape is the center of this thing. Now often in our world, if you think about it, the highest form where we step into what we would term love in this world is often described by another word and that word is intimacy. Intimacy. And I think when we look at relationships, we must understand why did God make relationships and intimacy was one of the main objectives He wanted us to enjoy. Reasons He made us this particular way. He made you to have intimate relationships intimate relationship with him first of all there's an intimacy that God wants with us there's a there's a sharedness in, in terms of our relationships there's an intimacy that God wants us to have with other people and in particular when God said it's not good for a man to be alone it's not because the house will be untidy that he said that <laughs> you know that's not what it came down to I mean I live with four sons One woman in our house. And I can tell you it's not good for a man to be alone. That's not what it was about. What he was saying is there's something of intimacy that you will not understand and experience unless I give you somebody else. And in God's grace and wisdom, he created these two genders, men and women, for this idea that the highest point we will ever achieve in relationship on this planet in terms of intimacy particular will be with one other person of the opposite sex and that's what God's dream for us that was a blessing that God had I so enjoy the fact that God didn't feel threatened and he looked at Adam and he said you know Adam I'm not enough for you I mean you have me and you come on guy what's what's wrong with you but he looked and he said, it's not good for a man. He recognized the need that Adam had before even Adam knew he had a need. God did that purposefully was because he was trying to educate us. And, and he, was said, he said, I will make you this person. And God put Adam to sleep. Adam had nothing to do with it. And God created out of his side in that sense of equality, he made a woman. And God brought them together and he said, because I want you to know something. Of what we in the Trinity experience. This intimacy. I want you to have. And that puts our relationships. As men and women. And the potential of our relationships. In a bit of a different space. Than any other relationship. It's for that purpose. That God gave us this relationship. But unfortunately our human story. Went through a massive speed wobble. And sin entered in. And if you see in the the next slide. You'll see there that the scripture talks about brokenness that came into our reality. And that day in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was a a, a, a wall that was built. the, The relationship, the agape between God and man and woman was broken. And something started distorting that relationship. And from that moment forward, Nothing on this planet in terms of particularly our relationships, but everything else also, is the, is the way it was supposed to be. Everything got broken and twisted. And it's almost like if I want to distort your image, if I have a mirror up, I hold a mirror up in front of you. And you look at the mirror and you see yourself in the mirror. If I want you to get a skewed image of yourself, all I do is I twist the mirror a little bit. And what does that do? You, it twists your image. And that's what sin started doing. It started twisting everything. No longer because of the separation that came about between us and God, because of this brokenness, we no longer see God for who he really is. We no longer see each other for who we really are. What was the first thing that happened after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The scripture says, they looked upon one another and saw that they were naked. That which covered them, that which was their glory, which was was the beauty on their lives, was now broken and shattered. And they didn't see each other the way God saw them anymore. They saw each other with different eyes. And from that moment on, our relationships have deteriorated because of this reality that is called sin. That relationship between God and man, and man and woman, became all affected by this. And today we live in a world Where our relationships are something other than the original intent that God had. No longer can you define our relationships as agape, without God's intervention. We are now practicing what in Greek original language would be called eros relationships. have become dominant between men and women. Eros relationships, and I know we often talk about eros as as the relationships that it's about the physical and it's about attraction. But there's a deeper meaning to the word eros, and it's this. Eros is directed, uh, though Eros is directed towards another in terms of attraction, it actually has the self in mind. For example, I love you because you make me happy. That's Eros love. And Bob Mumford, when he talks about this, he uses, where he uses with agape a straight arrow, as you can see on the board there, that says, I love you. When he talks about Eros, he uses a hook. And he says, I love you because... You give me something. Now this is a massive problem we have sometimes when we come to God, for instance. Because God says, I love you. And we say, I love you. Because of what you can do for me. And when God doesn't play up the game as we want him to, we withdraw our love. Because in the human reality, our love is this self-referential love. It is this love with something that I want in return. I can remember when I was head over heels in love with Natasha. I actually saw her for the first time in this very room. 1989. And the first time I saw her, everything in me went... You know, everything was like, wow... Who is this angel? And it took many years. And in pursuing her, she was tough, man. She didn't make it easy for me. I'll I'll tell you that story another time. But I can remember a distinct moment. I was living in, in, there used to be a house here in the middle of the parking lot called the church house. And I was living there and I was a leader in year of your life. Woohoo, year of your life. And um, I was infatuated with this girl and she ignored me like, You know, I ignore all brand flakes. And uh, she just wanted nothing to do with me. And in that time, the Lord showed me a picture one day. He said, you think you love her, but all you do is because I would give her little gifts. And I had no money, so I'd I'd steal an apple at breakfast in the morning. I'd shine that apple like it would be the shiniest apple in the world. And I would give her that apple. Like, you know, I love you. Which is what I'm trying to communicate to her. You know what she did with the apple? She would give it to somebody else. Because she was communicating to me. Stop it. Leave me alone. I don't want to none of your nonsense. And she had good reason. But never mind. And then I'd be like. Oh. And the Lord challenged me one day. He says, why do you do that? Because what you're actually doing, every time I gave her something or did something nice to her, it was like I was loving her with a hook. I, it's like I, I threw a rope around her. And I said, if I do this for you, you have to do something for me. You owe me. And then every time she didn't respond the way I did, I got upset. Why? She doesn't, if I give her the apple, she owes me nothing. Does she now owe me an apple? No. If I love her, I do things for her. Because it's about her, not about me. But how often do we love because it's actually about me? How you make me feel determines your value in my life. Isn't that true? That's human love. God's love is completely different. Jesus died on the cross for you. And there was no guarantee that you would respond to him. He still did it. He had no promise. In fact... How many people choose not to accept his sacrifice? And he would still do it. Because his love is not, you make me happy, therefore I love you. His love is, I love you. I love you. And this is the pattern that is so different than what this world has to offer. I love this song by Imagine Dragons. Great title of the song, Demons. And if you know this song, in this song he says, I want to hide the truth. I want to shout to you, but with the beast inside, there's nowhere we can hide. No matter what we breed, we still are made of greed. This is my kingdom come. This is my kingdom come. And I think they do so well to describe this reality that's within us. Though we try as best we can to be loving, we are so often selfish. And when God comes and He steps into our relationships, He's not about fulfilling your need He's about doing it the way that honors Him and that will ultimately bring you life and happiness. And He wants to teach us agape love. So our relationships with Him, our relationships with somebody of the opposite sex, our relationships with ourselves, God is busy restoring agape love. I love you. Not I love you because. That's not His agenda. So when we approach our relationships, we have to understand this first. And then from there, we can build good and strong relationships. So I want to focus in a little bit on here we are now. A guy and a girl, and a relationship is starting. Now when two people come into a relationship with one another, if you put the next slide on, if I use two, a triangle to describe that, we have these two beings, body, soul, and spirit. Now, I purposefully didn't color them different at this stage because I don't want you to focus on the difference. These are two people coming into a relationship. Both made in the image of God, both with body, soul, and spirit coming together. Three parts that are needing to grow together, come together, body, soul, and spirit. But if you can see there, I don't, you can't really see it on the screen so clear. The soul part on the one there, I made a little smaller triangle in that, I want to focus on that part, because even this pattern, is this fractal, is repeated to a deeper level when it comes to our inner being, which is our soul. Our soul consists of three parts also, surprising. These three parts are our mind, our will, and our emotions. When two people come together, the major part, the major arena where the game is being played... In terms of two people coming together, it's in this field of the soul. Now, I know the body has a lot to do with it. I know that when you see a person, the first thing you respond to is physical. You see a person's physical you know, presentation, you respond physically in some way. But if this relationship's actually going to become a relationship, it needs to enter and move into this space, which is the soul space, where two people need to come together. in their their mind, their will, and their emotions. So when we are about this business of being attracted to another person, we've got to understand it's our mind, it's our will, and it's our emotions that is busy engaging with another person, with a whole lot of hormones involved. That's like a soup that makes all of this a little bit weird. You know, love is deaf, dumb, blind, and stupid, as somebody says. So when you fall in love or feel attracted to another person, it helps if you can think, what, I, what is my body, my, 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 what is my, my mind, my will, and my emotions about this situation? Because if you're going to be attracted to another person, and if that attraction is actually going to become a mutual thing, there has to come a togetherness on those three areas. And that's ultimately what is called attraction. Attraction is when there is a mind alignment. When two people's minds starts becoming aligned and they start actually discovering they're thinking similar in in enough things. Now it's always wonderful before people get married they think they're so alike. (laughs) (laughs) Nate, Not? So often when I do premarital counseling, this couple will tell me how similar they are. And then they get married. I, I normally often would like to see them a year later and then they tell me how different they are from one another. How they have nothing in common. But so often what attracts us in our minds is we discover we have certain interests, certain things that we share, that we have alignment on. Certain values or things that we say, hmm, this is interesting. This person is like me in this area. And when that happens, a little bit more attraction builds. There's also an, an alignment that comes in terms of emotions. And emotions is the part where acceptance starts happening. So not only are you, are you thinking alike, because, I mean, that you can do with anybody. You know, that happens with another guy. Yay, Laka, we have the same sports team that we support. But when it starts moving into the realm of something emotional starts happening, which is in a sense of acceptance by another person, which is really powerful if it's somebody from the opposite sex, because you've been dreaming about this all your life, and suddenly, oh, I feel she likes me. Oh. What's going on here? And then that attraction starts moving into a wholly different space. And then there's another part where attraction plays out, and that's in agreement. Because at some point, if this relationship's gonna go somewhere, a level of agreement has to start. And that's normally where we, we go out on a date. That's an agreement. Hey, if you go on a date with a girl and she doesn't know that she's on a date, there's no agreement. And, uh, you know, that'll probably be the end of the relationship. You know, you see, let me not get weird with this whole picture now. But if there's an agreement that starts building, yes, we like each other and we would like to explore a little bit further and spend a little bit more time together and agreement starts building. Now, baby, it's getting serious. And at some point, you actually agree to say, I don't know what you call it nowadays. I'm trying to figure out with my children what you actually call it when you like, ons kayer psalm in Afrikaans, they say, ons is no psalm. I don't know what that means. I don't know what you say. Like in our days, you know, when I was little, it's ons is We're going out. There's some agreement, whatever you call it. There's an agreement. We're together. Now, your relationship, there's a coming together that has happened. But it's only the beginning. It's only the early phases, and you need to understand that, and you need to give yourself time in terms of that relationship because there's a whole lot more work to be done, and there's a whole lot of steps that still has to come and that you cannot skip if you're going to go the long distance and have a good and healthy relationship. Now we're just at the phase where there's a coming together. Now we take that forward, so we zoom out from that Body, soul, from the soul part, sorry. Mind, will, and emotions. And we go back into the bigger, little bit of a bigger picture of a body, soul, and spirit. Now two people are starting to come together. And now it starts playing off in the field of not only the soul, but also the body and the spirit starts becoming important. In God's process of two people coming together, there's an order to it. The souls is the first part where the togetherness starts. And then, in some way, the bodies start responding to one another. And there's a body thing that starts happening. Now, the body and the spirit part is very close to one another. I'm almost sometimes uncertain whether the spirit comes first or the body comes first. I think they... They sort of depends on the relationship, and I don't want to make qualitative things and say this is how it always works. But I think generally, normally, that, that when the soul starts coming together, there's a, a desire for one another that grows. And Paul writes, he says, better to get married than to burn with passion. Now, I know many of us use that scripture, abuse it completely. That's, you know, but just in recognition. Now, our bodies are very important when it comes to our relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. If somebody of the opposite sex doesn't stimulate anything in you physically, they're probably just a great friend. (laughs) And just let's keep it at that. At some point, you have to want to go, wow, wow. And that's not because of some worldly standard about what's attractive or not ever. I mean, different strokes, you know. I mean, my wife is the most beautiful person in the world for me. She doesn't have to be for you, but she is to me. I hope she's not for you. (laughs) To me, she is. But when two bodies start coming together, we must now start understanding we're entering into a very tricky space. Because this has a very unique element to it when two bodies start coming together. And this is where particularly we, us, as Christians and the world start separating from one another. Is when it comes to this part. Because for us, we have a different viewpoint. Can I read for you, for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16 to 19. Just let's listen to these words. Come on. Okay. Got it. Let's listen to these. Do you not know that he who who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. The scripture does a very interesting thing. You see, the world teaches us that sex is a bodily activity. That it is something you do with your body. The scripture tells us, Sex is something that involves your body, your soul, and your spirit. You can never just have sexual experience with somebody, and it does not involve your spirit. As a Christian, what this verse says is, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives within me. When I enter into a sexual union with another person, that spirit that is in me, my spirit, and the Holy Spirit becomes part of this union because... This that I have with another person is two spirits coming together also. Now, the world does not agree with us on that at all. But that's what we believe. That's what we believe the Scripture teaches us. So, therefore, we view our relationships with people of the opposite sex, especially when it starts moving into this deeper realm of spirits coming together and bodies coming together, we treat it very differently. We attach a word to it, and it's this word. Holy, sacred. The world does not use that word. Sexual interaction between two people is nothing but a physical expression. It's not sacred or holy. It's just like eating cornflakes. It's just a natural thing. It's a bodily function. You have been wired by your genetics and whatever else has produced you to have an urge and a desire to connect with somebody on this level and the best you can do is just do it. Now you want to protect yourself and be safe because we want to be careful and not get sick and we don't want to have unwanted children. But other than that, it doesn't matter. The Bible says this is holy and sacred because it involves all of our being. Everything within us. So, when two bodies and two people come together, first their souls and now their bodies and their spirits start coming together, we're now entering into a different space. Before you can join with another person in body and spirit, there's some steps that need to happen. And that step is called a covenant. You see, we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world, as according to the song I quoted for you earlier. There's a demon inside each of us. Now, by, by the word demon, I don't mean that we have got demons inside of us. There's a potential in us to really be selfish and hurt other people. And that, no matter who you are, that potential is inside of you. And can I tell you, no matter how much you think you love somebody, the potential to really hurt them is still inside of you. And if you are going to be intimate with somebody, that relationship needs protection. Forget about just physical protection. That relationship needs serious protection. And that's where God comes and He says, in order for you to be intimate with another person, in a way that will not destroy you and hurt you, but it will actually be a blessing to you, let me put some protection around your relationship. And that's called the marriage covenant. Now if you see the, if you can go back one picture, I think. Okay, so there I did pink and blue you know, and, and perhaps pink should be over blue. I don't, I'm not saying men, you know, rule over, you know, don't, don't go there. It's just pictures you can't, you know. So I did the blue thing like a little bit see-through. So, you know, I'm trying to say these are just two people, men and women come together. And there's now a coming together of body, soul, and spirit. Can you see in that little picture, there's one body, one soul, one spirit. Two people, but there's a unity forming, a oneness that's happening. When you get married, that is your position that has changed. You have now become one in position. It takes a lifetime of marriage to become that in practice. But that's the joy of marriage. is discovering how how far apart you are and actually working to become one. But in position, legally now, in God's eyes, you are allowed to do that. And that is because God puts that square around you. And he separates this relationship from any other relationship. He declares that this relationship is unique and it must not be messed around with by anybody else. This is a special relationship. It is two people that have declared their oneness to one another. And I know sometimes people say, oh, you know, it's just our cultural thing that you have to go to, a, you know, sign a document. And every culture across all time has had some form of ceremony. Where where two people in the community tell the rest of the community, we are now separate from the rest. I will treat this person like no other. Now, I know sometimes we have polygamy. But even in polygamous relationships, there's commitment that is made. Now, in a godly pattern, that commitment becomes really important. And God requires of us to make a promise, a commitment. Before you take the car out for a spin, you must make the commitment. There's no test drives in the kingdom of God when it comes to physical relationships. If a guy says to you, I love you, but can I take you for a test drive first? Tell him, I am not a Volkswagen. I am holy. I am made in my father's image. If you want me, put a ring on it, baby. And that means a lot. There was a day, 5th of September, 1992, where I had to stand up in front of all my year of your life, friends, all of our families, all the staff at the church here, and say this, I promise you, Natasha, that I will love you and you only for the rest of my life, and till death do us part. Two promises I made. I promised her exclusivity, and I promised her timeless commitment. Now, I don't know what happens in heaven one day. We've got our own plans that her and I are making in terms of how we're going to live together. Because I don't know what Jesus said, and, you know, I'm trying to ignore that part of Scripture that you will not be married in heaven makes no sense to me. I mean, I want to be with her. I can't imagine it. Okay, let me just stop there. Before I get a little bit weird and teary-eyed. But, okay, now I've lost myself. But I promised her those two things. And you don't promise those two things in God's kingdom to somebody five years into the relationship. You promise them up front. Now you can say, that makes no sense. How can I promise somebody who in our understanding of the way God wants it to be done, I have not slept with, I have not been really intimate with, I don't even know if they brush their teeth every morning, how do they squeeze the toothpaste? (laughs) How do they hang the toilet roll? I don't even know. How can I promise a person like that? That I will be theirs and theirs only for all my life. It's not. It doesn't make sense. I understand in a world it doesn't make sense. But in God it makes sense. Why? Because what is God trying to do? He's trying to create a space for you to enjoy intimacy. And intimacy requires protection. Intimacy requires definition. Intimacy requires a safe space. You cannot be intimate with somebody else. If somebody else is coming to come in from the side. I always say this. If you stand in front of the pastor at the wedding, your wedding day, and you say, I promise I will love you with 90% of my heart. I don't know if this is going to work out. So you know that girl that I used to date. Do you mind if just once a month I phone her? Or I send her a text message? How many of you will feel comfortable that you can have intimacy with that, will give yourself wholeheartedly 100% to that person that says 90%. If you say yes, let me pray for you. Because you're settling for something less. That's not what God had intended for you. Intimacy is such a valuable thing. But it requires those two things. That I'm exclusive and that there's no time limit to our commitment. So when we stand in front of the pastor or the judge... What we're actually doing is, you can go to the next slide, is this is a really weird picture. But think of this as a canal of water. And a canal of water is a, is, a, is a body of water that can run in a direction because it's got two banks. And the stronger the two banks are, the deeper the water can become. So when I stand before God and I promise her those two things, you can put the text on there, that I'll be yours only And that I'll be yours always. What am I doing? I'm providing two banks to this canal of of our relationship. And I say to her, I want to go the distance with you. And I want to become your closest person. I want to know the joy of loving you with everything that you are. And I want you to love me with everything that I am. Good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to love each other. Because we were designed like this. Do you know how you become a better person? is if you allow somebody to love you more. It's the only way we become better people. When you allow Jesus to love you with everything he has, it'll make you a better person. If you allow another person to do that, you'll become a better person. So when I do that and I say always and only, I create like a canal and now the water can start building. Now when I make that promise to her, I have it again in, in, in structure. But now I have to strengthen every day when I exercise those two promises. I'm strengthening those two walls or those two sides to my canal. And as I strengthen them with my commitment, the water starts building and the intimacy level starts rising. And those intimacy levels, if they start forming this body of water that moves, that runs, it provides the perfect place for some of God's little children to grow up in. And little ones get born. And they get born in a safe place where now no longer is our intimacy about me and her. It now starts developing a safe place, a a good place for others to start learning. What does it mean to have always and only? You see, when my children grow up in my home and my covenant understanding with Natasha and her with me is always and only, our children grow up in the safety of that. They're not wondering, you know, how long is this going to last? Is, is somebody else going to come in here and steal all of this? I mean, I deal with this regularly. When the when the cracks start, and the ones who pay the price are the children, and in a lot of cases, the woman. Not always. Sometimes it's the woman that caused the, but but often. And hurt happens, and life falls apart, and intimacy disappears. Sorry, I need to move on quickly. So this is God's dream for you. God wants you to know intimacy, and therefore He put these things in place. Now, intimacy is something you build. You don't just get it. You get the opportunity to have it, but you build it. It is a very precarious thing because it's a holy thing. You build it. It takes a lifetime to build it to its potential. I can honestly say to you today that 25 years into marriage, I love my wife so much more than I ever thought was possible. And now it's not just infatuation and all of that. I really love her because of this commitment. And our commitment's been challenged to one another. Make no mistake. But staying the course... Fighting through the challenges has allowed intimacy in our lives to grow and grow and grow. But intimacy can leak very quickly. It can take you 20 years to build intimacy. And you can lose it in one day. If you make one stupid decision. If I put that picture on the next picture, I don't know if it's going to. You can see that guy, he's standing there. These walls that are there to keep the water. And there's leaks that's starting to spring. Now your intimacy can leak. And you know when the leaking of your intimacy starts before you're married. Right now, if you're single and you're still waiting to get married, you are right now in God's economy, you are working on your capacity for intimacy. That's God's plan. This is not a time. A friend of mine that did year of your life with me always said, I'm single. Because I'm single doesn't mean I'm available, it just means I'm single. And I am being taught by God what it means to not be single. In your single life, I made these mistakes. And so what I'm teaching you, what I'm telling you today, I paid the price for. I didn't cherish my singlehood as a training ground for what it means to be intimate. How does intimacy leak? I just want to mention a couple to you and I want to finish. Intimacy leaks. Just There's many things. But can I tell you the first one is unprotected intimacy. Unprotected intimacy. Doesn't build intimacy. It diminishes intimacy. If you start having intimacy with a person outside of that covenant protection, all you're doing is you're setting yourself up for failure and for disappointment. Because there's not the commitment. So if I give intimacy to somebody and there's no level of commitment, and this is true of all relationships, but let's particularly keep it to the marriage relationship that requires a higher level of commitment than any other relationship because it has a higher level of potential for intimacy than any other relationship. When I start giving my body and my spirit, even my emotions to another person and there's no protection for it, what will happen eventually is some tearing will take place. And every time that happens, my, my, dis, my ability to be intimacy intimate gets a little bit weakened. Unprotected intimacy. Out of covenant, body and soul, spirit connections. I don't have enough time to go about that. The next one is casual intimacy. Will cause your intimacy to leak. And not to live its to its potential. Acting intimate without real intimate connection weakens our ability to be Intimate. You see, the people in our world believe this now, that you can just have casual intimacy. Sex, even whatever, we can do it casually. It's just fun. You know, it's just great. It's such awesome thing that we can have. You know, there's no strings attached. Friends with benefits, whatever you want to call it. We can do these things because, man, it's just, it's Can I tell you the reality that happens? And studies, non-Christian studies have shown this. That the more you experiment and explore sexuality and things outside of God's pattern and protection, you start limiting your ability to be intimate with somebody. There is no such thing as casual intimacy. You pay a price for it every time. And you don't pay the price now, you pay the price later. What so often happens, and I've seen this pattern, is two young people fall in love and they have the soul spirit, the soul thing that comes together, attraction. Oh, that's awesome. And they get married. And a, it just a, a little while into the marriage relationship, things starts being under stress. Because now the challenges on their intimacy start kicking in. And the more they have to grow in agape, and the eros has to become less, and the agape has to increase, the more challenging it becomes. And then what happens is a strain starts happening. And on those lines where they didn't grow in their intimacy, things start cracking. Because they were casual with their intimacy. Your intimacy is something very holy and special. Think of the Ed Sheeran song, I Love Your Body. It's a story of a young guy wanting to meet a girl. So he meets a girl in a club. And, he, and what, what happens? The natural thing of this world. What happens? They sleep together first. So their bodies come together. Then the song speaks about how they get to know one another after they've slept together. Isn't that the pattern of this world? Can I tell you, that's not how God wants it to be. Because it doesn't protect you. And you will not get to know that person really to the level that you can. If you do it that way around. God's not into spoiling your fun. He wants you to have the best fun in the world. It just takes something. Casual intimacy. Dr. Joe McElhaney of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health in Austin, Texas says, What if science could prove sexual permissiveness does great damage to future sexual happiness? Science is now understanding that. The last one is intimacy-free intimacy. It's just a fancy way to talk about it, and I spoke about it this morning, so I don't want to speak too much about it. Pornography. Things like Pornography is when you're, when you're intimate with something or somebody, but there's no real intimacy. You're just acting like it's intimacy. Because what happens when we have intimacy with a screen or a picture or an image or some person or a video or something, we act intimately, but there's no intimate connection. We're actually becoming intimate with an object. That's literally what it comes down to. We are intimate with an object. That's intimacy free intimacy. And what happens? Think about it logically. When you build that pattern in your life and you substitute a person with an object, how do you think it's going to help you become more and more intimate with a real person? Because the screen doesn't speak back. The screen has no potential to reject you and that's why it's attractive sometimes to people. It can provide you with all the short-term stimulus with any of the risk. But can I tell you, you pay a long-term price for it. Again, studies have shown time and again that it weakens our ability to stay committed to relationships. So I want to encourage you. If you're single, God has a great plan for you. He's got something so special, so holy in mind for you. Allow Him to provide you with that. Live your life And say, Lord, this is my time with you. So that you can repeat your pattern in my life. So that you can teach me agape love. So that when I step into a relationship, it's not eros, you make me happy. It's agape, I want to love you. If you're married here this morning, whenever your marriage goes through whatever morning this evening, whenever your marriage goes through all the strains and stresses... Man, you've come a long way. Don't give up. God is building something beautiful with your life. Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 33, and I end with this. As the scripture says, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Our relationships can move to a place where it actually displays God's love that he has within himself. But it takes time. It takes commitment. It takes us single-mindedly pursuing that. And that's the dream that God has for you. I wonder if we can close our eyes. Worship team, if you want to join me, that'll be great. Come and play something and just help the Holy Spirit just to be with us. Now, my intention was not at all tonight to make any person here feel uncomfortable, feel guilty, feel bad about your life. I mean, we've all made mistakes. Let's get that out the way here. None of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes. My desire for you this evening is to try and help you see something beautiful that God has for you. And for you to pursue that. So if you've made mistakes or are busy making mistakes. Best advice I can give you is to say to come to Jesus tonight. And say Lord here I am. I want your pattern for my life. I want to give you time and space. To do what you want to do. Show me your way. I will not find love through another person if I don't find it in you first, Lord. Help me, Lord Jesus. So perhaps this evening, I don't want to make it any more detailed than that. Perhaps there's just in your heart, you just want to say, Lord, whether I'm married, unmarried, have been married, whatever the situation, single, just to say, Lord, I want your pattern for relationships in my life. Can I ask you, if that's your desire, just stand this evening. Just stand. Say, Lord, I want your pattern in my life. Lord, I pray for each of us that are standing right now, and I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're not here to condemn us, to judge us, but you are here to help us. And, and often help begins by identifying the problem. So I pray that you'll speak to each of us. There may be some of us here that right now, though our desire may be to have no intimacy and to have God's pattern for relationships, there are things that we are busy with that is not helping us. And I pray that you would reveal that to us right now, in Jesus' name. Whether it's thoughts, whether it's actions, whether it's attitudes, whatever it is, Lord. Right now, just show us, Lord. If there's something the Holy Spirit is just bringing to your mind, then the appropriate response is to say, Lord, I see it. And I recognize it as a problem. Or perhaps to use the biblical word, I I recognize it as sin. That it is withholding me from you and from that which you have dreamed for me. And I ask you now to forgive me. Just say, Lord, forgive me for this in my life, for this habit or this thing that I've given right in my life. Forgive me, Lord. And then say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I cannot overcome this thing on my own. Come and heal my heart. Come and heal my heart. Come and restore me, Lord Jesus. Come and love me right now. When I feel so guilty and so ashamed, it's when I need your love the most. Come and love me, Lord. I can't be a better person until I'm loved completely. Love me, Lord. And just allow the love of God to just come and embrace you at this moment. He knows you. And for all of us, even those that have God, that's not got something that God is saying to you right now. Let's just say, Lord, here I am. I want to know how to love. I want to step into your agape love, the pattern of your kingdom. And right now, just make that decision. And ask the Lord to show you perhaps one or two things practically that you need to do that will help you do that. How will you do that? What can you learn and focus on? We can never stop doing a sin if we don't replace it with righteousness. Don't stop trying to do the wrong. Start trying to do the right. And the wrong will disappear over time. Sometimes immediately, sometimes it takes time. But focus on the righteousness, on good, on truth. Lord, I just pray for just your Holy Spirit to be in this place this evening. I'm just so aware that there may be one or two people here that feel I've messed it up so badly. I don't think there's any hope for me. I want to say to you, that's not true. Over my years of ministry, I have seen the most... Amazing restorations take place in people's lives and in marriages. I'm talking about people that cheated on their spouse with prostitutes over many years that marriages have been restored. Young people that have made the most ridiculous choices in life, living in God's dream. Everything is possible for God. Just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, I just pray for us, all of us, that our minds and our hearts will be shaped by your word and by your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to ask me anything, I'm going to hang around for a little bit. I pray for you, or any others can pray for you specifically. Let us pray with you. It will be an honor. Thank you for letting me share with you and being with you. Thank you, Gideon.